Sometimes you wanna go where everybody knows your name And they're always glad you came You wanna be where you can see Our troubles are all the same You wanna be where everybody knows your name Hello, and welcome to a special brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. My name is Tim Elliott, and what we have tonight is a panel that I record at the Boston Fan Expo uh, this month, where we it's a spotlight on the artist, writer, living legend, John Byrne. So sit back and enjoy the show. Spotlight on John Byrne Podcast at the Boston Fan Expo. So far we're running about 30 minutes late because the DC Nation panel is hogging the room. And John is kind of cranky about it, but hopefully it won't put him in too bad a mood before he starts talking to us. pictures in there so I had to sign that because oh, that's nice. I do and then I had X-Men the one where Wolverine kind of goes crazy in the Hellfire Club 133 maybe and then 139 where um, oh, Phoenix yeah. kind of goes nuts on him yeah oh sorry and then I bought the page already had they already had uh yeah. Signed, yeah. He'd already signed it. I was going to personalize it. But, uh, yeah, well, let's see how loud you guys can be. Uh, hi, everybody. Hi. Please uh, uh, give a nice welcome to uh, Hall of Famer John Brown. All right. Yeah. 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 All right, so for this spotlight panel, we prepared nothing. Uh, we just wanted to open up to you guys because John doesn't do too many shows anymore, so I wanted it to just be an open Q&A for everybody to uh, ask or say whatever's on your mind. So it doesn't look like there's a mic, but I don't know if everybody wants to line up or just raise hands or however you want to do it. We can just keep this free form and, uh, and fun. So how about let's do hands? So if anybody has questions, let's see. Yeah, you want to kick it off? Well, sadly, I'm totally OCD when it comes to the original Star Trek, so I will think, gee, I need a shot of Kirk looking to the left and pointing to the right. Now, oh, that's in where you know, God's destroyed. Um, 
So it's a kind of a combination thing where I start with a story, but then the story will mutate if I can't find the pictures I need or if I find pictures that are better. And they will direct me. And I'm sort of aiming for this end point. But along the way, the ride can get very different from what I originally conceived. Okay, here's a new visions question before, pardon me just one second. Um, so new visions is kind of a, a special thing in that that was your show. There's all these pictures you could use to help start the story. Assuming that scenario existed again, what would be your next show of choice to sort of tell new stories around? Oh, well, Star Trek's the only one I could do with it. Mm. That's the only one I've done. I literally had, except for the third season, I literally had every episode in my brain. It's almost embarrassing for me. Because <laughs> uh, I've watched, except for the third season, every episode like 40 times. So, yeah, there's nothing else. People say, well, could you do like the, the Steve and Peel Avengers? Or uh, could you do that? <laughs> Couldn't do it. It would mean searching through files, and that's no fun. Oh, sorry, oh, yeah, he's the oh. first in. Uh, I just wanted to say one of my favorite uh, from yours was Namor the Samaritan. Oh, thank you. Um, I just was curious as to how that came about, and, and was that just uh, your vision? Well, Terry Cavanaugh, who was the editor, called me up and said, We're going to do Namor as a businessman. You want to write and draw it? <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> sure. And somebody asked Jason Momoa why he's playing the Submariner. <laughs> I don't know why he is playing the Submariner, clearly, but uh, they're calling him out. He's playing Jay Lee's Submariner, really. Yeah. 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 So on Jay Lee, I'm back to the Submariner quick then. Did you have say on Jay Lee, or was that a no, Marvel? Yeah. That was forced upon me. <laughs> I wasn't exactly, you know, sorry about it, but uh, yeah, I told you it was like 12. Yeah. <laughs> First time I met him, he was wearing uh, one of those belly shirts. Oh. <laughs> and I said, well, the first thing I have to do is give you a salary that you'll be able to afford to buy a whole shirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, I was going to go back to the Star Trek stuff. Mm -hmm. um, what do you attribute the longevity of Star Trek to? I mean, you're a fan, just the same as, as myself, a huge Star Trek fan. I'm not as OCD, uh, but, you know, to me, there's a, a relatability to it. Well, again, that's it. I mean, Star, Star Trek is people from today in the future. So we, we know all those guys. We recognize those people. They're not different. They're not weird. They, you know, they, they talk like us, so they're immediately comprehensible. And then it paints this very appealing picture of the future. You know, it's not one of these Armageddon now kind of things where everything's grim and gritty and dread. It's like, what are they doing with it these days? But uh, I think that's the biggest appeal, is it gives us hope. Maybe we won't blow ourselves up. <laughs> well, how do you find, I'm sorry, to follow no, as a follow up, how do you find something new to add to a franchise that's been going, you know, for 50 uh, well, years? That's surprising, actually, because it, it, it's there. When I sat down to do the stories, were, I found, number one, I didn't have to do constant sequels. And just the whole structure 
suggests, well, go over here this time. Go over here this time. You know, and, and there are a million untold stories with the, the original series. Whose voice was easiest to capture at the start, and then did that change oh, as you went on? Um, I have to say, the one I heard the clearest was Sulu. Uh, and then uh, Chekhov, because Chekhov's a caricature, so he's really easy. <laughs> <laughs> easy to capture, Kipton. Uh, and although I did call Chris and say, can I use Kipton? <laughs> he said, wouldn't be Chekhov without Kipton, come on. Uh, but then they all kind of slipped into place. You know, they're, they're so here, you know, they live here. Uh, it was easy to find them. Did you talk to them, the actors? No. Well, I, you know, I only recently talked to Shatner on the phone. I met uh, Walter Koenig a couple of times. I met, um, thank you, John, George Takai a million years ago. Uh, but, uh, no, I certainly haven't. Although I have this, since we haven't canceled new editions, it's just a case of, I'm going to do it as like special editions and stuff like that. And I have this plan this weekend to ask Shatner if he would like to play Kirk's grandfather. So cross your fingers on that one. That would be so much fun. Of course, we can't afford it. If Shatner cancels on the Toronto Con in a few weeks, we'll know what the answer was. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I wonder if you could talk about the X-Men uh, project you've been posting videos from. Which one? The what? <laughs> 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 Is that something you're just doing for fun? Well, yeah. Um, there was some discussion on my website about uh, what if it went back to Marvel? And it planted this itch in my brain. And I thought, okay, what if I went back to Marvel? You know, could I go back to Marvel? And I do that. I haven't drawn like that in 20 years. So I did a sample page for myself. You know, I was Wolverine fighting Sauron, that's all it's And then I did another one. You know, what the hell, I'll do another one. And then suddenly there were 20 pages. You know. <laughs> and, uh, and then I got a, an email from C.B. Sobosky saying, Let's talk about this. And then, oh, that's unexpected. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, it just happened as a fun thing. It's still just a fun thing as far as I'm concerned. The worst part about it has been I had 22 pages sitting in my flat files, and I can't stop tinkering. Because <laughs> usually I would finish a book and send it away. But now I've gone back and like redrawn the, the stratagem about 12 times, and Kitty and change one entire page and just stuff. Uh, I'm starting to turn into George Lucas. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Wolverine's claws are now just uh, walkie talkies. Yeah. <laughs> I thought the entire idea of you, know, you even considering Marvel was going to go away before it had a chance to even sort of take heed once you asked that question on the forum and everybody said, here's what you should do when you go back to Marvel. And some of the ideas were just so. Oh yeah. Well, they all think I'm going to fix it. By myself, and I said, Well, the main problem with that is they don't think they're broken. So, <laughs> <laughs> John, come and save us. That's not really expected. No. You were going to say something. Um, are you going to ink them? Or you no, 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 no. Did I want to you write a full plot or you just? Oh, it's all, well, 
it started out as just, oh, here's Wolverine fighting Sauron, da, da, da. but the way my brain works, I couldn't stop myself from coming up with a story that would get them to that point, which is why uh, I called it a, a, a circular cliffhanger, you know, because the book ends about 20 seconds before it starts. Um, so, and I know what the next issue is, <laughs> and I know what the third issue is. <laughs> and I know what the fourth issue is. <laughs> and following Marvel tradition, of course, the fifth issue is Doctor Doom. <laughs> <laughs> and then the giant intercompany crossover. Yes. <laughs> yes. Can you tell us about the, the people who inspired you along the way? People who inspired me. Well, first, number one, my, my paternal grandfather used to hold me on his lap when I was about three years old and guide my hand drawing on a piece of chalk. Uh, hanging in the upstairs bathroom in my house is a framed chalkboard with a choo-choo train that I drew when I was three. It's the oldest existing John Byrne original. <laughs> do you put a on it? I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you know, and that, that kind of, I, I still say that jump fire, jump started the genes. And then uh, there were uh, some British artists who I, I saw, like uh, Frank Hampson, Frank Bellamy, and things like that, who were brilliant. And then started getting into the Canadian or American comics in Canada. And so they're like, Jack Kirby, oh, yeah. And Gil uh, Kane. And then this guy, Neil Adams, came along. Uh, that, that wrecked me. Uh, Joe Kubert was always one of my favorites. I think Joe is one of the, probably the best comic artists ever because he has, like Curry had the power and Neil had the realism and Joe's got it all. It's all like there. I've got three or four Joe Kubert, Joe Kubert, kind of family. That's three or four Joe Kubert originals hanging on my studio wall and I just sit there going, <laughs> like the Frankenstein monster, and, uh, uh, young Frankenstein. <laughs> you had a question back in? First, I think you had it all too. Somebody who can go off in 27 different directions at once, and I, I can't do that. Or it requires you to be you know, a total madman. Like, what was his name? Tom? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Speaking of that, I'm just curious since you brought it up. You know, there are some books about Marvel and stuff like that. Uh, about the Marvel. Is that real? Well, number one, uh, Sean Howe's book? Yes. Yeah. One party. Um, we did indeed burn Shooter in effigy. Okay. <laughs> Eleven days later, he was fired. So the first thing I said to Tom DeFalco was, watch it. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a very, I mean, I wasn't even at home. 
at my house. And that was such a necessary catharsis that the people, you know, they had reached a point they had to do something. They had to cleanse themselves somehow. And making a, an effigy out of uh, copies of New Universe comics. <laughs> <laughs> To the, I went to the fire department. I got a permit. I, did, I said, "Can I have a can I have a uh, bonfire in my backyard?" I said, "Sure, as long as it's a number of feet from all the yep. <laughs> I'm not going to say we're going to burn this guy. Or <laughs> as I like to say, we burned him in Effigy, which is a small town just outside. New York. <laughs> but yeah, uh, people who weren't there cannot begin to comprehend what it was like. I mean, Roger Stern and I, at one point, we actually asked that in our contract, it would say that if Shooter was fired, we would leave. Because, you know, in, in the early days, he was, uh, he used to say, too, that uh, Marvel, forgive my French, Marvel would rather produce a great book that didn't sell very well than a piece of shit that sold through the roof. And then he did see quick if somebody said tomorrow starting tomorrow you can either write or draw which would you pick right I've always thought of myself as a writer who draws because I was always making up the stories and drawing pictures to match them can it be somebody who says starting tomorrow you can be a multi-billion <laughs> <laughs> you never get those choices no, no. yeah you're a I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you developed She-Hulk, because she started as such a nothing character and became such a unique character. Well, that has to go about 90% of Roger Stern. Okay. Because She-Hulk was there, and she was done too. And then Roger had her in the Avengers, and he figured, she likes being She-Hulk. That's the thing that makes her different. She likes being She-Hulk. And I said, that's cool. I'm stealing that. <laughs> and so I put her in... Fantastic Four, and then eventually uh, Mark Renault asked me to do a She-Hulk comic and make it you know, different. Uh, different. Hmm. And I and I immediately thought she knows she's in a comic book. Uh, and then somebody much like, "Oh, you're ripping off Moonlighting." <laughs> no, actually, I'm ripping off the Greeks. Okay, this is breaking <laughs> breaking the fourth wall. I was this guy wrote under the name of Shakespeare who used to do that. Yeah. So it was kind of a lesson in how much the, the hardcore fans really didn't know of anything outside comics. Uh, somebody? Somebody saw it. Yeah. Now a monster character that you've written. Which are your favorites not? I'll start that sentence again because I didn't hear it. Sorry, it's not fast. Out of any multitude characters you've Oh, the multitude. And drawn for which do you like best? My two favorite characters, you know, depending on what day it is, one of them is the favorite, are, are 
Batman and Captain America. And of course, when I say Batman and Captain America, I mean the ones as I grew up with them, and not all the stuff that's happened. Psycho Ninja. Um, my Batman smiles when he kicks people's teeth down their throat. <laughs> I got a Dick Sprang. The man whose name is also a sentence. Dick Sprang <laughs> did a recreation for me on the splash page of the first Batman story I ever read when I was six years old. And it has Batman hitting somebody in the head with a big smile on his face. He smiles in the 80s. I know. Well, my Batman smiles. Sometimes it's a smile you really don't want in front of you. <laughs> you don't want to be there when he smiles. But yeah, those two. And then, of course, I, I love the Fantastic Four. And one of the things I loved about doing the Fantastic Four was that I was able to put so much into Sue that wasn't there. Mm -hmm. You know, she's no longer the invisible hostage. <laughs> she was actually... Well, I, I, I loved something that Roy Thomas had done, but I loved having her references all the time. Well, you know, I did knock out the Hulk. <laughs> she did, you know. Don't mess with me, says Sue. <laughs> hey, test you all. Tested him yesterday. I failed. Trivia question. Johnny Storm has a cousin with an unusual name and an unusual job. Who can tell us who that is? Who is Johnny Storm's cousin? He appeared in one of the Lee Kirby issues back in the early, early, early days. So it's not just me. It's not just you. I know this. This is the one I always win trivia questions. No, his cousin is Bones Storm, and his job is the human skeleton in the circus. Oh, oh. He's this really skinny guy. There's this one. Bones, how you doing? Hey, Josh. And I, I never had the chance, you know. I, I love doing, doing circus stories, you know. And I couldn't get one into the Fantastic Four. Well, I love the Super Scroll, and I couldn't get him into the Fantastic Four either. You know, so these things have to come somewhat logically. Well, let's do a little easier trivia since it's a John Byrne panel. What was uh, Ben Grimm's relative who showed up in John's run who had never been seen before? Aunt Petunia. Aunt Petunia. Oh, that was great. Would she have ever surfaced again? Had you stayed on the book? She might have. You know, as part of me regrets doing it because it was such a, a left field kind of thing, but I wanted it to be a left field. Kind I think Johnny's of expression and the way he acted himself made it all up. <laughs> Penny. Oh, yeah. And his uncle, her, her husband, his uncle Jake, which tells us what the J stands for. Benjamin Jake. I'd like to hear more about your the collaborative process between mm -hmm. writing and drawing. I know you've worked with a lot of different writers. I've worked with some of the best. Yeah, I mean, and, um, I know that the collaborative process helps where you bounce things off of each other, but I'd like to hear how your collaborative process works, some of your best collaborations. Well, well, Chris and I used to run up Marmo's phone bill when I was living in Canada and he was living in New York. And we would you know, call up 
us a call, they kind of charged the risk. And we'd run up these enormous phone bills just shooting stuff out of the as I slowly took over. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Roger Stern and I used to do the same thing. Chris would write a 16-page plot for a 17-page issue. You know, I mean, everything in detail. This, this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens. So in my first Avengers with David, there's a scene where the Vision steps through a door into this room that's gone all cosmic and blah. And David said, and he steps through into an arena of cosmic bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> That's just fine. Um, and Roger Stern was, was always fun to work with. Back in those days, he, uh, he was just so damn clever. It was fascinating. There was a point where I felt like you just got tired of any collaboration, like on FF, where you're writing, yeah. drawing, inking, lettering. Well, you probably would have colored if you've been able to <laughs> print the comics yourself. Terry Austin was supposed to ink the FF. No, he dropped out before the first one, which is how Bjorn Hain was born. <laughs> uh, because they had lettered it, and then I said, well, we don't need to re-letter the credits. Let's just find something that fits in the same space as Terry Austin. And so I anagrammed my own. You all know I anagrammed my own name. <laughs> My, my name also anagrams as Johnny Reb, <laughs> which could be funny someday. No, so there was a female version. I can't remember. But anyway, so Terry was supposed to ink the FF, so I ended up inking it myself. Well, actually, it was some of it, yeah. I said, well, why don't you ink it yourself? And uh, I did. And I found that I, I was doing full pencils in those days, so I just dropped it back a little bit because I didn't need full pencils to ink. And for a period there I dropped it back too much. So they, there was kind of a coloring book effect. Which also happened because uh, they changed the schedule and I lost a whole bunch of time and so I was having to send the pages in inked, which meant I had to indicate the balloons. Letterers were not necessarily able to fit their lettering to the balloons. Uh, parenthesis, Frank Miller told me this wonderful story when he was doing Dark Knight. And he was also inking in the balloons. And I forget who inked it, who lettered it, but uh, he said he developed this kind of weird thing where Frank would indicate what he wanted to say. And then he'd start normal size lettering, and if it, the balloon was too big, he'd just get bigger with each row. 
So the effect was, as Frank said, people would say, why don't we go out to lunch? Exactly, sort of like when you're when you're drawing these things, what what's going through your mind? You're like, oh, I'll put this panel here or whatnot. Really, what I do, and you can see this evolve if you look at my stuff, is that I just take my pencil and I kind of and then when I ink it, I straighten this out, sharpen this out. Mm -hmm. Actually, there's a funny story there too. When Terry and I did Star Lord, and Terry hadn't really inked my stuff before, and he didn't fully understand my pencil. So there's a panel in there where Star-Lord flies onto the bridge of a starship that's been attacked. And I drew everything blown up. And Terry took all the twisted metal and turned it into levers and buttons. <laughs> <laughs> there's actually a funny one. Uh, Bob Budiansky did a cover for X-Men. It's uh, the second album of like, cover. And Nightcrawler is running up in the background. And there's a plane crashed beyond him, and Terry turned Nightcrawler's right arm into a piece of twisted metal. <laughs> <laughs> so it's one of those things where you're leaning into close. I've done it myself, you know, many times. You kind of forget what's going on around you. Oh, I did this beautiful hall. Oh, that's not supposed to be that. Anybody <laughs> <laughs> else? I saw you first in the back. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, one, I followed you. Everything you've done ever since. Flash, the Flash, the Green Lantern, you know, he has a, 
Is he good? And, but from that, there were a lot of little stupid things about Superman that even as I say, even as a kid, I thought, well, why would he do that? Why is it that way? And what really used to bug me was, this didn't happen when I was reading. This came in later under Julie Schwartz, but when he would go, great, raw. And I said, well, that's just spitting in Pockett's eye, isn't it? Pockett <laughs> and Mockett raised him in the middle of the Bible belt. I'm, I'm thinking Superman's probably you know, straight, whatever they, what would he be, a Baptist, probably. And uh, adopting all that Christian, all, all that Kryptonian stuff is, just struck me as so abhorrent because he grew up on Earth. He was raised on Earth. And uh, that's where I went. I said, yeah, it's, Earth is the important part. Man is the important part in Superman. And, uh, does that answer your question? Yes. Because that's all I'm going to get. Um, I, I like Princess Leia in her original form. 
I really hate the latest thing that turned her into just a delivering person. You know, they say, hey, we stole the plans, here, take them to the room. No, Leo was the one who was stealing the plans. Pay attention to the original movie. Uh, and Wonder Woman, um, I had to fight, believe it or not, to make it tough. Because DC had, an, well, the illustration, DC had done three three Christmas cards. They did a, a Superman Christmas card where he's saving orphans from a burning orphanage. Ah, yeah, it was Christmas. And they did a Batman one where there was some equivalent of these chasing the Joker down. And then they asked me to do the Wonder Woman Christmas card where she's sitting under a tree with animals. <laughs> and I said, what? What? And my, on, on my 10-year-old Wonder Woman, I, I tried every way I could to make her a female Superman, which is what she's supposed to be. I mean, one of my favorite covers from the, the Golden Age, uh, assume it's symbolic, but still, she has lassoed a, la a mansion She's pulling the whole mansion off its foundations. It's flying into the air. And I'm saying, yeah, that. So I killed her and made her a goddess. You know, because I said, now you can't mess with that. But they did. <laughs> <laughs> Sir? You mentioned you don't like preprints. Yeah. You also mentioned that the preprints are very modern, loud, alpha. Saw him standing across the room, and I got to go introduce myself to Goodbye. And he came over and introduced himself to me. And he said, I love your stuff. I, I use it when I'm teaching my classes. I say, What do you do? You say, See this? Don't do that. <laughs> and he said, No, you're a master storyteller. And I said, Well, sell my clothes. I'm going to heaven. <laughs> Will Eisner just called me a master storyteller. I have nothing else to do, ever. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, um, I forgot where I started on this, but uh, the whole idea of telling the stories is what it's all about. Everything, everything has to serve telling the stories. Yeah, I love your approach to the uh, Romulus in Star Trek. Uh, any chance to see more of them from you in the future? I. I have a big Star Trek story in my head. Um, Scott Dunbeer, who's the new Burn Whisperer. <laughs> and it's, uh, where's he? Where's he? <laughs> uh, we've been talking about actually doing a trade paper, right? 100 pages in one story. And uh, the Romulans play a big part in that. And not to spoil anything, but the basic premise of the story is why is it in the original series, Sulu could drive a whole boat with a panel with eight buttons on it? And in the first movie, they named switches and flanges and flanges and flanges and 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 I, re I came up with this idea that there must have been a cataclysmic collapse of technology in the galaxy because it affected the Klingons and everybody else. And so my story is about that happening and then how they rebuild 
how Sc Scotty of course saves the day. <laughs> Scotty figures out, oh well, all we have to do is this over here. And, uh, but uh, yeah, the Romulans, well, a Romulan, I'm casting that a Romulan is kind of behind it. That's actually extremely cool because this is the major gap in Star Trek. Yeah. How you yeah. have uh, prequels with top of technologies, yeah. and you have the six being the six. You know. One of the things I've argued over the years, people say, well, you know, it's so stupid, but silver drives the whole boat. A panel with eight buttons. And I say, well, first of all, it's 64 buttons. Because <laughs> it's eight by eight. And you know how sets work, kid? <laughs> how, many, how many combinations are there of those 64 buttons? Well, it's two to the 64th power. That's how many combinations. You know, he, It's like a typewriter. And then, like, Two of those buttons could be reset panel, and it becomes 64 different buttons. And you can then all this stuff. So I yeah. Although I always wished he had a... Because <laughs> as he's making a turn, you know, it never quite had the drama. But there you go, I can't quote The Romulans were the, uh, that was sort of the gateway drug to yes. for, for Star Trek, because John didn't want to do like this work. I mean, John started with like his work decades before and earned the right to not do that again. But I said, come on, man, come, come do some like this stuff. But I yelled at him. He goes, no, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing like this stuff. But I got kind of a wrong deal this There's no like this there you have to worry about. That's all makeup. You know, you can just have some fun here. And then if he has enough fun, maybe he wants to do this. And then a few years down the line, you're drawing Kirk and Spock if you're doing like this. Well, you know, that's, yeah, because I'm stupid. <laughs> <laughs> that was, you know, this guy here. When he talked me into doing that first Romulans thing, and, uh, and I just kind of fell back into Star Trek. I've never been very far away. But it was, gateway drug is a good description, because I was able to you know, do the Romulans and then swing around. And then, and of course, that became that whole saga of the Romulans and the Klingons, and everything that had ever been referenced on the show, I was able to string together and turn into something. Get to draw all those spunky ships, and then when it occurred to me to actually trace pictures of the ships, I don't know why that wasn't the first thing I ever thought of. Because I realized that surface detail on the Enterprise, you can pretty much do whatever you want as long as the configuration is right, as long as the scale and the positioning is right. So, first time I traced it wasn't the Enterprise, it was the Enterprise, but it wasn't. The first time I did that, there it is. You know, this is what I've been killing myself for. And then, of course, on New Visions, I started building stuff. I you know, started building 3D models of alien spaceships, even aliens. You know, the, the last issue. There's so much modeling in that that you would probably not even recognize. As I've gotten good at it. <laughs> um, I have the trick was figuring out this classic Star Trek lighting. And I figured that out on the bridge, and I kept taking that lighting and putting it in different sets. So you get the same shadows and the same this and the same colors. And it was like, there it is. You know, there's the transporter room, there's the engine. Well, engineering is one of the most astonishing sets to build. Uh, and then suddenly to be able to do shots in engineering or on the bridge or in the transporter room that we never saw on the show. 
I mean, I did a shot like a 45 degree angle on the transporter. I never saw that on the show. That's a standard, Walt Simonson calls that a standard bird shot from the corner, looking down. Oh, yeah. Okay, and I did one of those with the transporter. Yeah. There's some guy on my website, Greg Kirkman, who says the thing he liked about new visions is it looked like I drew it. <laughs> it had all the John Byrne tropes tips, sticks. So yeah, and then when I started figuring out how to do biological things, you know, make, make, make alien I was very pleased, uh, how long ago, six or seven issues ago, with the blue alien who was isolating everybody and doing stuff. And he had this, and I used the, uh, the face of a 101-year-old Chinese man to make the, what they call the map, the distortion map that created the 3D effect of this guy's face. And it was perfect, made it blue. And then I used a body from another show. And I don't know if you know about this, but the issue, you, you, have you all seen the, the last issue, the, the one with Gary Seven? Uh, a friend of mine plays Gary Seven's body because they didn't want him to be wearing the same stuff he wore every time he saw him. So he's wearing like a leather jacket that gave him to wear. So I shot all these poses and then put Robert Lansing's head on top of it. Yeah. And uh, I got a friend of mine who's not an actor. Well, you saw the issue with the Doctor Who parody, for lack of a better word. And my friend Richard Wheatley, who was an actor, played the traveler. And then for the last issue, I got his husband, uh, Bud, to play the mad scientist. So Richard Cameron to you know, encourage Bud about doing striking poses and all this. And then there was one shot where Spock is cradling the dying mad scientist. And the hand that's holding him is actually Richard's hand, replacing uh, Leonard Nimoy's hand, so it will fit properly on Bud's shoulder. Doing that with different uh, different friends who are actors was a lot of fun. I used a friend's house in that story too. In New Canaan, the exterior. I had to use the exterior twice. I only shot it once, so I used Photoshop to move the shadows. And it's a time of past. Because I worry about you. You all caught John's cameo in one of the issues too, haven't you? Right? Old prospector? <laughs> <laughs> the first time. Uh, <laughs> Why are you doing? I'm going after my goal. <laughs> First time I used Gary Seven. So. Yes, I was old and prospecting. I'm, I'm surprised by how many people didn't realize it was me. <laughs> I wasn't unusual. You had to dunk it. That's true. That's true. But I've drawn myself so many times yeah. in the comics. I think I'm actually a character in Marvel Six One Six. Hey. What was your inspiration behind deciding to do the uh, Dr. McCoy Frontier Doctor? Oh, that was an idea that I had. Um, well, Jimmy Stewart in was it the 60s or the 70s? I think the 60s. Had a sitcom, and it was a stupid, boring family you know, sitcom that didn't work. And it was canceled in one year, one season, maybe less. But it put in my mind, I said, you know what Jimmy Stewart should be playing? is a frontier doctor who's traveling around. He's got all the latest medical advances. He's going out in the West and doing all this stuff. So years later, I'm thinking about Star Trek stuff, doing a frontier doctor. 
That's perfect for McCoy. <laughs> he's got the beard, so it's not really a likeness thing. So again, we're getting closer and closer. You would not believe the number of idiot fat boys who accused me of giving McCoy a beard so he'd look more like me. <laughs> Did you guys not see the first movie? <laughs> uh, how does he look when he first shows up on the universe? And I was planning, I was probably still do it, but I wanted to do a, kind of a, a cycling new visions that revisited Frontier Doctor, so we could actually have Thela and, and uh, Duncan appear. That'd be cool. That would be interesting casting, but we would find the right people to do it. Luckily. Yeah, purple. Um, so, describing everything that goes into one's Scene, okay. uh, with the new visions, how much time would you estimate it takes to get one cell to where you want it to be? It would depend. Um, sometimes I was able to do a page and use, let's say, six panels that were just lifted straight from the show. Sometimes even from one episode where I just used them in a different order. And that took you know, 25 minutes. Hmm. But there was, there was one, one issue in particular did a shot of the bridge on fire and everybody's falling around and stuff. And there are 16 layers in that shot, not including dialogue and captioning. That's a bore. Yeah. You know, first of all, I had to find people, the characters in the right poses. Um, although in the latest issue, again, uh, there's a shot where uh, Spock collapses and McCoy, or, or Kirk, catches him. So there's He's catching him and then he's holding him in his arms in this two-panel sequence. Not only are those two shots not from the same show, they're from different seasons. <laughs> and they just fit together perfectly. And that was the wonderful thing, of course, because you don't know this when you're watching it casually, but doing this, I realized every single episode, unless they were doing particular dramatic effects for the lighting, they all had the same lighting setups. All the scenes had the same lighting setup, so it made it really easy to say season two, season one. Look, they look like that. I didn't use much from season three. <laughs> Not a big fan of season three. You know, John can only answer a question of how long a page took to do since I'm no longer at IDW. Yeah. And you can never say in front of an editor how long a page takes well, you because then they're going to try to hold you to that. Well, <laughs> so, it only yeah. takes you a day or an hour. You're, okay. all, you're all sworn to secrecy. <laughs> Somebody brought up the X-Men elsewhere thing that I posted on my website. Have you all seen that? I hope. Hands up. Yeah. You've seen it. Okay, that's enough. These are full, full pencil uh, X-Men pages, the years on, the, the characters I worked on 40 years ago. Those pages were coming out at the rate of a page an hour. Wow. That shouldn't leave this room. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was just going to that. And I, I said that a lot of it is because it's in the Savage Land. Doing what I call Zen jungles. <laughs> so, you know, I draw the figures and then I come back, oh, somebody drew a jungle. Cool. <laughs> so that went fast. Next time I do something technological, it'll take longer. But uh, also, let's face it, I've been doing this for years. <laughs> so I've kind of, as, as they would say, Learn my shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, as a fan, I would love to see 
the uh, the last Galactic story finished. Is there any other things that you think you wanted to do that you never got around to finish? I want to do the invaders. Mm-hmm. I love the invaders, but I think they're messed up right now. Um, let's see. Yeah, that's kind of number one on my on my list is to do the invaders. World War Two. All this effort. I always figured Roy had it written into his contract that nobody could have World War II but him. <laughs> Funny story. When I when I did OMAD, originally there were going to be a bunch of superhero involvement. How many of you have seen OMAD? Yeah, okay. And I changed it to make it more accessible. So in order to change history, he kills Hitler. And the editor said, doesn't Marvel own Hitler? <laughs> <laughs>
they kill everybody, you know. <laughs> they take over the world and kill everybody. And, uh, and then the next thing you know, he's spinning it all off with these counter uh, ultimate sentinels rule the world things that should have been wiped out by the events of uh, was the second one called Time Out of Mind. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's just that was my plot, so I was really ticked off. With a single panel. <laughs> <laughs> ah. I was going to say, had I known that today was uh, the anniversary of Grimwald's passing, I would have brought a muffin in a bag. I guess when he used to do panels, anybody who had a question, he had a muffin in a bag, took out the muffin and would throw it around the room. And about halfway through the panel, the muffin would just start disintegrating. Finally, he threw it, and the thing just. The whole crowd went. And so he goes. The bag, pulled out another muffin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Grunwald was great. Grunwald was, you know, he drove me crazy, but he was one of my best friends. And, uh, gosh darn it, I miss him. But, yeah, he and, he, he and I used to have some really interesting discussions about alternate realities and stuff like that. Time travel. Oh, I were time to travel back in time and create an alternate universe. There you go. That was him saying all Jeanette saying 
don't send Lara back to Earth is what caused me to totally rethink Krypton. Mm -hmm. Because the Lara who flew back to Earth was, you know, Kurt Swan's Lara. You know, the, the, the Flash Gordon clothes and the rocket with the little fins and all that. And uh, that was one of the points that uh, I wish. Well, Dick Giordano said to me, show us on the first page that things are different. Show us that Krypton is different. So I did that. And then about, I thought it was a good idea. <laughs> and then uh, about almost like two years into the project, I suddenly went, no, the splash page should have been Clark playing football. That would have shown everybody that it was different. And then he would have found out about Krypton. And the readers would have found out about Krypton at the same time. Because in the book, the original series, there's the opening sequence on Krypton, and then it's not mentioned again for about 10 years. And then he finds out about Krypton, and I lost my parents. Was, but of course we know that he didn't lose his parents, because there's a Superboy story where he finds them in suspended animation in a rocket. But he can't save them because the rocket has turned to Kryptonite and they'll die. <laughs> well, that was it. That was Mar That was DC trying to be Marvel. You know, let's do some dark stories. Yeah, but dark stories always have a little sous-son, a whimsy, you know, a thing grumbling about stuff. So hypothetically, if, if DC hadn't wrecked any last remaining goodwill, if there was any, by running late in this last panel, <laughs> <laughs> if you had a chance to do what you were playing around with on X-Men, is there a book that you did there or a character that you would most be inclined to do that with? Oh, God. Well, um, the X-Men thing is sort of a parallel universe, and DC has a few of those. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, Was there a character you miss handling the most? Um, the one, I, a couple of times I did uh, the Jay Garrick Flash, and, and he was a lot of fun. I found him to be a lot of fun. Uh, in fact, a lot of the Golden Age stuff, I could have done JSA in two minutes. So we need a JSA Invaders probably. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> which, which, by the way, I hope you all remember uh, Batman Captain America. Oh, yeah. One of my finest efforts in my opinion. <laughs> uh, the sequel was going to be uh, JSA Invaders. <laughs> and I'd even drawn a splash page of uh, Baron Zemo launching the rocket, except the rocket is made of kryptonite and Superman is tied to it. <laughs> uh, and then Captain America comes to save him and Bucky's killed. Ten minutes? Um, so yeah, there, there was a version, and then I think it was DC decided that there weren't going to be any more crossovers. Okay. Although, so when we, uh, when I was at AW, we were going to do um, Star Trek Legion of Superheroes, and so in my mind, there's nobody better to do that than John. John's a Star Trek guy, John's done a lot of great stuff at DC. John does great superhero stuff. John has to do Star Trek Legion, but I hate the Legion. <laughs> Why? I hate the Legion because I was like eight years old when they were first introduced, and they were mean to Superboy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember because 
I was that kid who was always being you know, tricked and made fun of in school. By those damn teenagers in the future. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that happened to Superboy, and they, we admire you, and now we're going to do all this stuff to mess with your head. Jimmy from Saturday, you flatten up, you know, it's like, I hated him, and I still hate him, I can't do it. Though, when I took over Superman, and I said, well, what happens to Kurt? And DC said, we'll take care of Kurt, which meant we'll fire Kurt. <laughs> and uh, so I was actually going to write a Saturn Girl series for Kurt to draw. I learned not to trust anybody. <laughs> so sad. So when anybody wonders, like, how come John isn't, you know, rejoin this creator and do stuff again? He's still mad at fictional characters from when he was eight. <laughs> 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 well, here's the story. Um, I guess I have to name names. Terry Austin has some kind of bee in his bonnet about Scott Dunbeer. And Scott's been trying to put together various projects over the years. And one of the things he wants to do is an artist's edition of the last Galactus story and have me finish it. Could we get Terry to, to ink it? And I said, well, Todd, you know, Terry holds a grudge for a long time. And, and uh, Scott says, you do realize you're saying this, right? <laughs> <laughs> a few years ago, we really wanted the X-Men um, artist edition to happen, and yeah. Terry has a lot of the pages. And so Scott said, it just it can't happen. Right? Yeah. Terry just won't let us have those pages while Scott's working here. So I came up with a plan that we got to kill Scott. <laughs> we got to fake Scott's death. It's comic books. Scott's got to go away for a year. We'll bring him back at some point down the line. But we got to at least fake his death for now so we can get this book out of the world. Uh, Luckily, the book was able to last happen anyway. Yeah. And I also talked to Walt Simonson about maybe inking the end of the last collective story, which wouldn't suck. No. <laughs> All I have to do now is actually do it. And, I, you know, talk Marvel about too. But, well, I've got like 15 different endings because I, I, I kept trying to have to find ways. I've got a uh, way it ended in the Fantastic Four. And I was going to have Frankie Gray fall out of the sky and say, Hi, I'm from a million years in the future, and Galactus is in trouble. <laughs> so they, they go to the future, once again, save them. This is one of my favorite bits, actually. It's never going to happen, so it's not a spoiler. Dr. Doom finds out that they're doing this. They're going to the distant future try and save Galactus, and says, I want Galactus' power. So he goes, he, s he sneaks off after them, and there's all kinds of battles and all this. Galactus is, is reaching his, his end, which in my version, he takes off his helmet and releases all the energy that he has absorbed in his billion years long lifetime and creates the next universe. So Dr. Doom is there trying to steal the power and this The FF returns to the present. And the last sequence is there is Galactus alone in sending this back to the camera in the in the new universe that he has just created. And slowly he turns to the camera and he has Dr. Doom's mask. <laughs> Wanted the power boy? <laughs> the power boy. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Doom is one of the greatest characters ever. And so is Galactus. Galactus is probably my favorite Marvel character. So, 
just getting into the business. Uh, somebody asked me to do a cover for a fans. Do a Fantasy Four versus Galactus. What the hell is a Galactus? <laughs> so I had to go look him up. You want me to draw this? Oh my god. One of the first things I did when I took over the Fantastic Four was sit down and distill all the drawings of Galactus into one consistent Galactus that I could actually memorize and draw. But, uh, yeah. So when you see Galactus, is he wearing shorts or is he wearing that? He's wearing that skirt. <laughs> <laughs> I love that's the shorts. That sort of Roman. Well, the first time we ever see him, of course, remember, he's wearing what I call his Christmas hat. Yeah. It's all these weird colors that he isn't wearing in the big G. <laughs> and of course that, the legend is, the big G on his chest was Jack being funny because Stan supposedly said, I'm going to fight God. So he said, that's the big G on his chest. <laughs> <laughs> he foolishly assumed, you know, would be removed. Uh, and people keep blinging, blinging, uh, bringing it back. And that, in fact, was one of the reasons I did that sequence that revealed that every alien race sees Galactus differently. That's why we see him as essentially a human figure with a big G on his chest. Yeah. All right, I think we just about reached the end, although we're going to do this again tomorrow, so if you have more questions or if you want to bone up on John's work tonight and come on and ask the same questions and see if I give the same answer. There's, uh, there's the event with Chad tomorrow, Big John Day tomorrow. So for now, thank you all for coming. folks that's all we've got for this episode uh, i'd like to thank everyone for downloading i hope you enjoyed the show it was uh, an absolute honor to meet mr burn at the con and he was an absolute uh, delight look for future shows of third degree burn at 22freaks.com as brian and i return to our normal format thanks again for listening this is tim elliott signing off for third degree burn Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at 22freaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number 3, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the 22freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number 3, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. 
If you're interested in any of the books we cover in the show, just head over to tutufreaks.com and use the Amazon link to shop. This doesn't cost any extra, but it really helps support the shows. Until next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Burn, baby, burn!